0: Well, we have come to the end of our study on the epistle to the Colossians, and maybe some of you feel like some children do on Sunday morning when the pastor gets up to preach, and that is the best part of the sermon is when it's over, and uh, I trust that's not how you feel, but if uh, you do, well, then I guess you can just rejoice the end is here. But in thinking about our study of Colossians, I was thinking about endings, especially endings in the Bible. And, you know, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that have great endings. I was thinking about Ruth. What a great story about a woman who loses her husband, but by God's providence, finds another husband, gets married, and is in the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, that's a great story, isn't it? And then we have the story of Esther. Another great story, another woman who God used in a mighty way to save the Jews from being destroyed, and a great ending to the book of Esther. Um, Not everything has a great ending. I was thinking about another woman in the Bible, not such a great ending, besides Jezebel who got eaten of dogs and all that, but Ananias and Sapphira, you know, the husband and wife team that agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit, and they were both struck dead. Not such a great ending. Um, Jonah. Not a great ending. I mean, the guy, you know, disobeys the Lord twice, pouts, and, you know, we never know. what I've always been curious what happened to the prophet Jonah, but the story of Jonah does not have necessarily a great ending. And why I say all that because we have come to the end of Colossians. It's not necessarily a Bible story, but it's a letter. It's an epistle that was written by Paul to the church at Colossae, and it is the end. Does it have a happy ending? Does it have a sad ending? What kind of ending does it have? Well, let's read the verses together, and we will answer that question, Lord willing. Notice in verse 15, as Paul ends his letter, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you also read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds... Grace be with you. Amen. Now, as I looked at this text, I thought about Paul's final words, and I noticed he ended with four final things, which is really our outline for tonight. First of all, his final greeting in verse 15, his final admonition, verse 16, his final warning, verse 17, and then his final prayer request, verse 18. So we have a final greeting, a final admonition, a final warning, and a final prayer request from these four verses. So let's look at the final greeting. Paul says, Greet the brethren who in Laodicea, Nymphas in the church, which is in his house or her house. Um, even though Paul had never been to Laodicea, he still was concerned for them. He loved them and he wanted to greet them. And he does it through an individual called Nymphis. Very interesting because the Greek word comes from two words, which means a young married woman and a sacrifice, but the personal pronoun is in the feminine gender, which indicates that she was a woman who was probably either widowed or not married uh, in some way. And the reason I say that is because in the biblical world, when they would be relating to someone, anytime a woman was married, she would take on her husband's name usually. And so for some reason, Paul does not do that. And so if she were married, she would be under her husband's legal authority but he just mentions her name. Evidently, this woman uh, was wealthy. I say that because she had a church in her house. In the biblical world, they didn't have uh, churches that they would meet in. It was usually always in a house. And so this woman probably had a home large enough to have church in it. It could have been on the roof of her house. Uh, Many times they would use the roof for places to pray. Remember, Peter went up to the rooftop to pray. Um, or it could have been out in the courtyard, something like that. But anyway, she had church in her house, and uh, I can identify with Nymphus because I have had church in my house. And uh, not this church, but the, our former church started in my house, and it grew to 100 people. And then one of our neighbors hit one of our parishioners' car, and that was the end of church in the house. And uh, so I can identify with Nymphus. Having, having church in your house has a lot of blessings in fact our living room was always a church service we always had chairs set up we never moved it throughout throughout the week and the kids were growing up at that time and so they come tumbling down the stairs only to you know, find a hundred churches in the, li- or chairs in the living room. So it has its challenges, but it also has its blessings. And uh, so certainly this is uh, a challenge, I imagine, for Nymphus. But you know, this is an encouragement and a challenge for us as well, um, especially you that are single. Women, just because you're single does not mean that your service to God is any less important. In fact, I want to say to you, if you are single or widowed or divorced, Do you know, actually, your service to God uh, can be more important and richer than my service as a married woman? And you might say, well, Susan, why do you say that? Because the Bible says it. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7? There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord. She can be holy both in body and spirit, but... A woman who's married cares for the things of what? The world, how she can please her husband. And so if you're unmarried, you actually have a greater advantage in that you don't have a husband, not that that's bad, that's a good thing, right? Marriage is good, but you're available to minister and to maybe have church in your house. But you can give your total time and total energy to the Lord and certainly using your home to be hospitable is a way to honor and glorify him. And by the way, even for those of you that are married, um, you should be using your homes to be hospitable, uh, whether you're single or married. So Paul now moves from his final greeting to his final admonition in verse 16. Notice what he says. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that you read it to the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So Paul admonishes them to read this epistle, not only to the church at Colossae, but to the church at Laodicea, and then he adds about the epistle from Laodicea, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Now, what is an epistle? Well, an epistle is a written message or a letter. That's what these four chapters in Colossians are. They are an epistle. And uh, this is actually the third time uh, that Paul has mentioned uh, Laodicea. He hasn't mentioned that the epistle be read to the church at Laodicea. His first time to mention that. But it is his third time to talk about Laodicea. Remember, he already talked about he had a great conflict for them, the church at Colossae, and them in Laodicea. Remember, also, we brought out Epaphras had a great burden for the church at Laodicea. And we brought out several times in Colossians, the reason being is because Laodicea was only about 11 miles from Colossae, probably caught up in the same Gnostic heresy. And so they both, uh, Epaphras and Paul and Timothy, they all had a burden for this church. Um, and Paul wanted this epistle read to the church at Laodicea. More than likely, um, we'll discover this in just a minute, Laodicea more than likely was a very uh, lukewarm church. It had a lot of issues if you did your homework Uh, You notice that Jesus, and when he gave the message to the seven churches, did you know that Laodicea is the only church that he does not commend for anything? He commends all the other six churches for the good they've done, but not the church at Laodicea. He says, you know, you're you're rich, and you think you're this and this and this, but little do you know, you're blind, miserable, you're wretched, and you're naked, and I'm so sick of you, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, how would you, you know, I mean wasn 't a great church, and uh, so the church at Laodicea uh, was definitely a definitely probably a lukewarm church and it 's interesting that Paul says this epistle the, the epistle to the Colossians is to be read to the church at laodicea and uh, it 's wander backtrack just a little bit too when when um, God calls him lukewarm and he wants to spew him out of his mouth. Very interesting, the church at Laodicea would know exactly what he meant because their water supply came from Heropolis and it was a few miles north and by the time it got to Laodicea, their water supply was lukewarm. And so when Jesus says, you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm, I want to spew you out of my mouth, uh, the church at Laodicea would know exactly what he was talking about. One man writes, according to history, the threatening expressed in Revelation 3.10 has been fulfilled. Laodicea is now only a name. In the midst of one of the finest plains of Asia Minor, it is entirely without habitat. Isn't that crazy? So they became non-existent. Now, maybe you think it's odd that this epistle was to be read to these churches, but ladies, that was the practice in the New Testament church. Remember, when we brought out the the portion where it says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, most parishioners did not have a copy of the word of God. And so Paul would write, as in this case, the epistle to the Colossians. It would be taken uh, by a messenger to the church. It would be read. After it was read to the church at Colossae, it was what we call a circulatory letter. They take it to maybe the church at Ephesus, or in this case, the church at Laodicea, and it would be read. Um, that would be very difficult for us today, because uh, in our fast-paced sound bite, got to have it now, uh, we have not trained ourselves to listen to the word of God being read for a long period of time. I don't know about you, but I've noticed this at funerals. Uh, everybody's awake for the eulogy, all the songs, but you know, as soon as the pastor gets up to preach and he starts using the word of God, I notice, I always look around. It's always fun to watch people, and everyone gets restless. Uh, we can't sit and listen To the Word of God. Uh, But, ladies, if you didn't have the privilege of taking this book home tonight and having it by your bed or wherever you put it and be able to read it tomorrow, do you think you might listen more intently on Sunday morning if the pastor got up and read the Epistle to the Colossians to you, knowing that that's the only time during the week you're going to hear it? Uh, so no wonder they hid God's word in their heart as we talked about uh, letting the word of God dwell in you richly because they, they were dependent on it, memorizing it, meditating on it. Um, that was all they had and they probably hung on every word that was spoken and we certainly have come a long way but not in a good way of listening to the word of God. Now. Paul not only wants the epistle to the Colossians read, but he writes that he wants them to read the epistle from Laodicea. And maybe you scratched your head on that and you're like, what is the epistle to the Laodiceans? I mean, I have 66 books, but... One of them is not the epistle to the Laodiceans. What is that? Well, I have no idea. But um, I'll tell you what the six suggestions are real quickly, and I'll tell you which one gets the most votes. Some people think it was a letter written by the Laodiceans. Others believe it's a letter written by Paul, which was probably uh, either Galatians or 1 Timothy or First and Second Thessalonians. Another thought it was a letter written by Paul to actually Philemon that we've looked at a few times this year. Um, another one is it's a letter to the Laodiceans, which today is known as the Apocrypha Epistle to the Laodiceans. And the one that is really voted by the most by scholars is that the letter to the Laodiceans is actually the epistle to the Ephesians. Um, because the, re- the reason they think that is, I, as I mentioned, most epistles that were written were circulatory. And so the epistle would be read and then passed on to either the church at Ephesus or the Laodicean church. And then the last but not least, um, some people think it was a genuine letter of Paul addressed to the Laodiceans, but it's now lost, and that's possible. I, don't, I wouldn't die on any of those hills, and I don't think we should you know, have a church split over it, but, uh, but this, whatever the epistle was to the Laodiceans, it was also to have been read. So we can make an issue of the fact that Paul's final admonition to the church is to read two epistles, read the epistle, this epistle, the epistle to the Colossians. And secondly, make sure you read the epistle to the Laodiceans to them. So they were to have two letters written to them. And like I said, we're not sure what the epistle to Laodicea is. So we now consider Paul's final warning in verse 17. This is not his first warning. He's already warned the church about Gnosticism. He's warned us in chapter 3 about sin. In fact, I was going over that today because that's what I'm speaking on this weekend in Idaho is Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I was going through all those sins, you know, put to death the sins of the members of your flesh and all the sexual sins and the social sins. And so he's warned them. He's warned them about sin. But now he's going to single out one individual and warn him. And this man's name is Archippus. So let's look what he says. He says, Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord that you fulfill it. Now, who is Archippus and why does Paul warn him? Well, um, Archippus is mentioned only one other time in Scripture Philemon 1 2 and uh, where Paul says to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in their house. So evidently he also had church in his house. Um, The only thing Paul mentions in Philemon, he's a fellow soldier. He had a wife named Aphia, and they had a church in their house. His name means horse ruler. Uh, Too bad uh, Olivia's not here tonight, but uh, she she likes to ride horses. But uh, his name means horse ruler. He was probably um, a member of... The family of Philemon, some even believe that Archippus was Philemon's son. And so that could be very possible. Um, He evidently lived in Colossae, and the church gathered in his home to worship. But why does Paul admonish him? Why does he say to him, take heed to your ministry to fulfill it? Well, the suggestion, and this is just a suggestion, it's been suggested that when Epaphras, remember he was the pastor, He came to see Paul in prison. During his absence, it's been suggested that probably Archippus was taking over the church while Epaphras was gone. However, another suggestion is, since Paul just mentioned the epistle to the Laodiceans, that Archippus was actually the pastor of the church at Laodicea, and he needed to be admonished to hang in there. Now, ladies, if you've ever been in a lukewarm church, it is not for the faint-hearted. I remember when my husband was pastoring uh, his first church, and we finally left after seven years, and he said, I will never pastor a church again that doesn't want to move, that doesn't want to grow spiritually, and it's very, very difficult uh, to stay in a church where people don't want to grow and to change. And so it could be possible that, uh, Archippus was the pastor of the church at Laodicea. And can you imagine pastoring a church where God says he wants to throw you out of his mouth? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't sound like a great place to hang, does it? But um, when we consider uh, Christ's revel- uh, admonishment to them in Revelation, we would understand this. You might be saying, well, Susan, why doesn't Paul... Write him a personal letter. Why does he confront him openly? I thought we're supposed to go when our brother offends. You know, we're supposed to go in private. Tell him his fault between him and me alone. And why does he do it openly? Well, it's been suggested again that Archippus was young, like Timothy. And remember, Paul admonished Timothy a lot. Um, He told him to be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, take heed to his ministry, um, also, we have the the precedent in Second Timothy about elders. Uh, when elders sin, they are to be rebuked before all so that others might fear. And so there's a different standard there for pastors who um, are sinning or not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Also, when you think about it, since Archippus was probably a pastor, The public admonishment that Paul's doing here, where he's saying, tell Archippus to take heed to his ministry, um, would allow the church to come alongside... And support him. Just like, remember the two women in Philippians chapter 4? I beseech Yodia and Syndicate, You know, they weren't getting along, these two women. And then and he says, Clement, you help them. And all of you people, the whole church at, at Philippi was to help these two women getting along. That weren't getting along, but helped them to get along. And so by this public rebuke to Archippus, it would hold the church responsible for holding their pastor responsible to take heed to his ministry and fulfill it and i'm sure it was a little embarrassing i mean i think if we get to heaven and yodi and syndicare there i think they're you know i mean there won't be any sin in heaven but i don't know a little embarrassing uh and i'm sure archipus maybe was a little embarrassed uh when this was read publicly i know if doug put in the bulletin this next sunday tell susan to shape up or ship out uh i might be a little embarrassed so um now, I want to be clear. Everything I've just said is suggestions. I, we don't know if where he was pastoring. Uh, we don't know what his issue was. The word of God is not clear. But we do know for sure, and this is something we can bank on, Paul says to him, Archippus, take heed to the ministry that you're doing and fulfill it. So that is a definite fact. Um, And notice the words take heed here mean to look at it, regard it. And notice the ministry he's to take a good look at. Notice what he says, the one in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, Archippus ministry, just like your ministry, whatever it is, it originates in the Lord. It's divinely given and it should be treated as such. And so, my friend, if God's given you a ministry, you should not take it lightly You should take great consideration to it. Um, It is the Lord that has given you gifts, and you should be using them for his glory. And may I say you should be faithful. Um, I have to say it's a grief to me to see women who have wonderful gifts. They're very gifted, in many of them in many, many ways. And yet they don't use their gifts, or they're haphazard in using their gifts. And they're not dependable. And uh, I think that's going to be a sad time when we stand before the Lord and hopefully hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm afraid some of us are not going to hear that because we know we're gifted, but we won't use our gifts. And so um, we need to take heed to this warning for us as well. Now, Paul not only admonishes him to take heed to his ministry, but he also admonishes him to fulfill it, which means complete it. Ladies, ministry is a lifelong job. In fact, somebody asked Doug the other day, when are you going to retire? He goes, I'm not going to retire. I mean, unless he gets fired, but he said, I'm not going to retire. He said, I hope to die in this pulpit, and he may one of these times. Um, But pastors shouldn't, we shouldn't, we don't retire from ministry. Um, We should be using our gifts until God takes us home. Uh, Even if we are retired, even if my husband does at some point decide to retire. He's not going to retire from serving the Lord or using his gifts uh, because that's a lifelong deal. Um, But it appears, for some reason, Archippus was not completing or fulfilling his work, and Paul was concerned for him. And he was concerned for the church that would suffer under his leadership. Um, In fact, one version puts it this way, God has called you to his service. Oh, do not fail him. And ladies, if you've ever been in a church, Where the leadership is weak, uh, it makes the church very vulnerable. And so Paul admonishes him, take heed to the ministry which you have received. And he also could be concerned because, remember, he's just talked about Demas. We looked at Demas last week. Um, Seven years later, Demas uh, loved the world, and and he apostatized. And so maybe Paul was seeing, you know, too, maybe some of this in Archippus, and he was very concerned that he might also forsake the Lord as well. Um, Remember, too, the church is caught up in heresy. And whether it's the church at Colossae or the church at Laodicea, it's caught up in heresy. And so uh, Pastor Archippus would need to fulfill his ministry and complete it. Well, um, Archippus is not the only one that Paul admonishes, by the way. I've gave you some things about Timothy, but even... Uh, later on, before he uh, leaves the church at Ephesus and he's saying goodbye to the elders in Acts chapter 20, he says, I know after my departure, grievous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And he says, even of your own selves, men are going to arise and draw away disciples after them. And then he says, remember, watch, pray. And so he warns them. He warns Timothy. He warns, uh, he warns Archippus. He warns the elders at the church at Ephesus. Um, And so, ladies, I think we can learn from this. We must heed this admonishment in our own life. Fulfill what God's called you to do and do it with excellence. Um, As Paul has already admonished us in Colossians, whatever we do, we're to do it heartily, remember? As unto the Lord. And so, whatever God's gifted you to do, do it with all your might. Um, In fact, one of the things I've noticed in ministry over the years it's, it can be discouraging. It used to discourage me a lot more than it does now, but it still can be discouraging, and we can see even the evidence of this tonight. People start out with a lot of gusto. You know, first day of Bible study, back in September, I think we had 40 women here, maybe more. And, you know, as the weeks go on, it you know gets a little bit less and less and less. And, and um, I've noticed over the years, it doesn't matter what we're teaching, who the teacher is, it starts out with a lot of gusto, but it ends with a little bit less enthusiasm, and, um, you know, that shouldn't be. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we don't lose heart, Um, and so being faithful to the end is huge uh, for one of God's children. In fact, when I'm uh, at times tempted to bail out myself and say, "I've I've had enough of this, and Sometimes those are on those plane rides home after a busy weekend. And I'll I'll think to myself, Debbie doesn't know it, but I'll think, why am I doing this? I'm exhausted. You know, just those thoughts go through your mind. and uh, But then I remind myself, therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because our labor's not in vain in the Lord, right? It counts for eternity. And then after I get home and have a good night's sleep, I'm ready to go the next morning. But... When when you're tired is not a good time to make a decision. So what can we learn? Two principles here from Archippus. Number one, we should take heed to the ministry God's given to us. And secondly, we should not take it lightly, but complete it. Complete it. So don't take it lightly. Take heed to it and complete it. Now, lastly. As Paul closes this wonderful epistle, we're going to see Paul's final prayer request in verse 18. Remember, he's already asked them to pray. Pray that I might open my mouth boldly to speak the gospel. We've already seen that. He's prayed for the church in Colossians chapter 1. But now he closes with a prayer request for himself. He says, The salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, Paul is saying, I'm writing this salutation by my own hand. Paul's custom was to dictate his letters. Uh, he had an amanuensis. Paul would dictate. The amanuensis would write it down. In fact, Romans was written by Tersus. Uh, I, Tersus, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Uh, Paul signed his name to it. Paul dictated it. Ters- Tersus wrote it down. Um, and the reason being is most people believe that Paul had an eye disease. Remember when he was saved on the Damascus Road? that uh, it left him blinded for three days and so I don't know if you've ever had that experience but I haven't but uh, some people believe that experience on the Damascus Road left him with some eye disease and so most of his letters he'll say something like uh, the salutation with my own hand and so Paul would write his name (laughs) there are a few epistles that he wrote himself. Um, In fact, Philemon, he wrote with his own hand. Remember, that's just a short epistle, but it says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay it. And then in Galatians, he writes at the end, see how large letters I've written unto you so evidently Paul wrote Galatians with his own hands but evidently very big letters and probably because again he could not see so very well to do that and so he would speak the words and somebody would write them down so he then gives his final prayer request after he talks about his salutation with his own hand he asks them to remember his chains or his bonds Uh, Paul's already talked about the fact that he's in prison for the gospel. Um, I don't think Paul mentions this last uh, prayer request so that they will feel sorry for him. I don't think that's why he's saying that. I believe he's wanting them to pray for him and to remember that he's in prison because of the gospel. He shared the gospel and he wound up in prison. And ladies, Paul was not too proud to ask for prayer prayer. I wish we could learn from him. I wish we could learn through him, through David, and the Psalms, transparency. Because, you know, that's how we really get help. To be honest, be real with each other. And uh, Paul's not too proud to ask him to pray for him. And um, and ladies, I think that we need to remember. We can use, a, use this as a good example to remember those who are in prison. And I know you might say, well, Susan, I don't know anybody in prison for the gospel. Well... All you got to do is look around outside of the United States of America. Uh, I think, was it last year, 90,000 Christians were martyred for their faith. Um, we can't allow ourselves to become callous, even though right here in America, we're not being imprisoned for our faith. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are being imprisoned for the faith. In fact, in Hebrews thirteen three it says this, remember the prisoners as though you are chained with them. Do You ever think about that? Your brothers and sisters in other China, other countries, um, some that are in prison, some that are being tortured for their faith, we are to have compassion. They're suffering. We are also to suffer and enter into those with them. Um, In fact, turn over to Matthew 25. I think we need to remind ourselves of a very sobering passage as we're considering this prayer request of Paul to remember him while he's in prison and pray for him. Matthew 25 very interesting starting in verse 31 it says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him he'll sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left hand and the king will say to those on his right hand come you blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry you gave me food I was thirsty you gave me a drink I was a stranger you took me in I was naked and you clothed me I was sick and you visited me I was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying Lord when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you a drink when did we see you a stranger and take you in naked and clothe you or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least my brethren, you did it to me. Then he's going to say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see how Jesus is going to judge on the last day? Compassion towards those who are hungry, those who are thirsty those who don't have clothes, those who are sick. In fact, I heard Doug this morning, he's calling Sharon, laughing with her, but saying she needed to eat more donuts and she'd feel better. But for those of you who go to our church, you know why he said that. But anyway, um, he said, yeah, I woke up this morning. We just got in from Houston last night. Two of our people are in the hospital. He's like, I need to make my hospital visitations today. So, And I remember in our first church, we had one guy in our church that ended up in prison, and uh, he'd go see him all the time. And he'd say, you know, this is how Jesus measures true religion. Um, Those that are compassionate to those in prison, those that need food, those that need water, those who need visits because they're sick. And so Paul says, remember this. Remember and pray for me. Um, Ladies, being chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day is not a picnic. Being beaten, having not much food in prison. In fact, I think it was most prisoners begged for a speedy death because being in prison in Rome was horrible, um, the way that they treated their prisoners. Well, Paul ends the letter with the way he ends all of his letters, grace and be with you and amen. Um, God's unmerited favor be with you. Ladies, without the grace of God, none of us in this room would be redeemed. Nobody. Salvation will always be of God and of His grace. In fact, not only that, but grace is mentioned here because they are going to need grace, just like you and I are going to need grace to overcome false teachers. Right? We've been talking about this that this year, and as I mentioned last week, and again today, I was, or tonight, was talking with Jill about someone, another one that's bitten the dust and a well-known teacher. Um, it's just unbelievable. What's going to keep you and me from becoming a casualty? <laughs> And adopting false teaching or heretical teaching, the grace of God, right? It's going to keep you from heresy. Well, then he says, amen, surely so be it. That's what that means. And so we end our journey in this epistles. So do you think it has a good ending or a bad ending? Well, I personally like the ending. It's a greeting, an admonition, a warning, and a prayer request. I like it because it ends on a spiritual note. And I really like that, uh, with uh, the glory of God in mind and the fulfillment of his calling. And I think Paul ends his letter, most of his letters, with a great example to all of us on how to end well and end on the spiritual. And with that in mind, I want to just quickly ask you some questions based on, uh, since we're ending, and I hope your journey has ended well, um, on the four chapters that we studied together, very brief here. As we consider chapter 1 together, do you now have a richer prayer life as a result of looking at Paul's prayer? Do you have a greater appreciation and admiration of who Christ is as we looked at his preeminence? From chapter 2, are you still holding on to legalism, mysticism, asceticism, or any forms of tradition? Do you have a deeper understanding of Gnosticism and the danger that you face in your life personally and in the church that you attend do you are you in earnest prayer over the false teaching that is going on do you speak boldly to those who you know are caught up in false teaching from chapter 3 have you grown in setting your affection on things above and not on things of this earth Are you putting off all sin and putting on Christ-like characteristics? Are you enjoying submission to your husband? Are you disciplining your children in love and not provoking them? And, of course, I hope your husband is loving you the way Christ loved the church. From chapter 4, are you speaking more boldly to others about Christ and have you equipped yourself to be more effective in sharing the gospel? And last but not least, are you a better friend and a helper to those in ministry, and have you learned how to minister more effectively? So did you end well? I kind of had fun doing the homework and just evaluating my own life this year. But, you know, that's a question that only you and the Lord can answer. Only God knows the real change that's taken in place in your life this year as a result of the study. But my prayer is that you have each inched one more step towards Christ's likeness and that you will keep traveling upward and onward until we reach our final journey home. Because, ladies, then and only then will we be with our master forever. And believe me, we will then need nothing else. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you so much for this epistle. Four short chapters. So thankful for the many, many years ago that my husband, then fiance, encouraged me to memorize this epistle at the age of 18 and how it's been in my mind and heart all these years, and yet it's like it's brand new every time I read it or study it. Because your word is alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than a two edged sword. I thank you that we have just barely even touched the depths of this epistle. And I do pray, Lord, that you would continue to let these truths resonate in our hearts and minds throughout the summer, that we would not forget the things that we've learned and studied. And I do pray for our group time, that it would be especially sweet as we end our time together in this wonderful epistle. And we ask these things for the Savior's sake. Amen.